Paracast, with your hosts Gene Steinberg and David Pietney. Hey, they're back. What's back? UFOs. They never left. Of course not, but as far as the public is concerned, they are back because we're hearing of more and more sightings. Not just, of course, O'Hare Airport in Chicago, but Arkansas in northern Arizona. Some interesting cases, and now more and more we're hearing about these reports, whereas a year ago it was just a rare thing. Now even no. some of the main... No, no, new, no, no. What we're talking about is the tip situation where in the United States there is an overemphasis on national affairs and we've seen what appears to be a flap in UFO activity in the United States in the past maybe six months but UFO activity around the world Gene has been pretty active for a while now I mean of course but here in the States we don't hear much about it no well does that mean it doesn't happen absolutely not and I kind of suspect that the amount of actual sightings hasn't changed all that much. If you look, for example, at the National UFO Reporting Center, Peter Davenport's site, the number of UFO reports appears to be fairly consistent. So this is not a flap per se where we have a flurry of sightings, but a publicity flap, which is what we've probably had all along. Every time we have this surge in UFO reports, it's not so much that the sightings have increased, but the attention has increased. And there's the distinction. Sure. Sure. I think that's an important distinction to make, though. And I think that some of the increase in the sightings is a bit odd. We look at the fact that in the past number of months, there have been a significant upswing in the number of reports coming out of Iran. In fact, uh, in Iran, we hear about multiple crash episodes, which, to be honest, I suspect is more likely attributable to American activity in the skies over Iran. Certainly, I'm willing to guess that if we look carefully in some of those cases, we find some crash spy planes. I don't think that's entirely unreasonable. And, uh, you know, this is, of course, the other important thing about this topic in that while we want to believe that there's an increase in episodes, we have to bring reasoning to the table and understand that even with the increase in sightings, there are a large number of these things that are not UFOs, that are simply misinterpreted real phenomenon. For example, there was the case about the retired Air Force person who saw some strange enigmatic lights down in, uh, was it Arkansas or Alabama? Well, there was Arkansas that I Arkansas, heard about. right, sure. right, right. And uh, he saw some strange lights, and it turned out that there was a fairly legitimate report that uh, these things were actually flares. Our friend Jeff Ritzman has always made the statement that he's not as interested in lights in the sky as he is in structured metal craft. And I have to agree with Jeff on this point. Um, when I heard about this report, I thought to myself, this kind of sounds like it's probably not a UFO. And again, there was some subsequent uh, reporting that seemed to verify that. On the other hand, the O'Hare episode clearly seems to be something unusual, even though the FAA tried to just slough it off as a weather phenomenon. It would appear that indeed something did happen that day. So like any other time, we have a, a, a significant upswing right now in terms of reports, but it's always important to remember 
that a lot of these things are not real UFOs. They can be explained away in conventional ways. Well, if we want to be really, really technical, all we need is one good UFO report. But I kind of think that a few percent out of all the ones that you hear about have enough significance. I agree with you. I'm not all that much interested in lights in the sky unless those lights in the sky do lots of really weird things. Mm -hmm. Just a light flashing across the sky could be a meteorite. It could be a lot of things. It doesn't necessarily have to be a UFO. And certainly when you get to areas where you're near a military base, and certainly here in Arizona, of course, we had the Phoenix Lights a decade ago, we are near a military base. So it's quite possible that some of the things we've seen come from that military base, and certainly the government is not going to be that forthcoming in the things they're working on. That's not their thing. You know. The government's not forthcoming about anything anymore. We talk about the Phoenix Lights episode. Some of the reports from that time indicated that there was this very vast triangular craft, vast as in, I think I read one report where the guy said it was at least 5,000 feet across. We simply have nothing that size, Gene. And I think people in their minds need to differentiate between what are very likely covert black military operations versus something like the report of a craft that is silent that is 5,000 feet in length. We don't have anything in the sky even remotely that large. So that's one where I think it's clear and fair to say that that's not one of ours. No, it certainly doesn't sound like it at all. The problem is that with a lot of these sightings, you sometimes have opportunists who get in there and say, hey, we could write a book about this. We could lecture about this. We have enough material here to last a few years. And that, of course, makes things rather difficult. And all we care about here is what really happened and I don't want to say that to sound, you know, a little bit self-righteous. That's not fair. We just really are curious as to what's going on. And David and I have been interested in the subject since we were both 11 years of age, in different decades, of course. But the same curiosity comes to bear. What's going on here? What's causing all this to happen? Does it have multiple causes? And the thing that saddens me so much is that, really, I don't think we've made an awful lot of progress. I look at no, some of the arguments yeah. Made about UFOs today, and they're the same ones we were making back in the 1960s. That's one of the reasons, for example, that my friend Alan Greenfield was brought onto the show, because I want him to bring up the arguments all over again, give his point of view, which is not one shared by some people or maybe even a lot of people, but to point out that it's time we start thinking about what's going on, not say, well, UFOs, we don't know what they are. They're from Zeta Reticuli. We don't know that, folks. We don't know they're from Zeta Reticuli. Even if the people allegedly associated with this, the entities, the greys, whatever, if they tell us that they come from Zeta Reticuli, why should you believe them? Really? Well, you can, you can question anything and everything, Gina, and as people should, um, to take anything at face value at this point in time is, is dangerous. It's not necessarily productive. I, I think it boils down to people needing their reality served up in nice, neat, little prepackaged boxes. It's human nature, really to categorize things and to have to put them into these boxes. It's how we deal with the incredible complexity of reality. But this human vanity that we have figured out what all the boxes are, this is where I think we have to do real work. And I'm with you on this idea of taking the UFO phenomenon and saying, okay, here's what these things are. They're either A, covert black government operations, B, aliens from outer space, you know, C, creatures from our future, they're us coming back from the future, D, inter 
dimensional beings of some sort. In the end, I think we're going to find out that the reality of what we're dealing with here is not easily placed into any of those boxes, that it's probably multiple boxes combined together. I think that when the truth of this actually starts to really come out, we're going to find that it's far odder than any of these pre-packaged theories, that it's something that is a meta version of these things. And something that Jeff and I have talked about offline is this idea that if you had an interdimensional being who was part of a civilization that existed alongside us, and that's always been here, it would be in their interest for us to think that, for example, they came from outer space. We'd feel a lot more comfortable thinking that some kind of an alien species was visiting us but living far away from us versus this idea of, oh my God, there are aliens and they're here around us all the time, except slightly offset in time or in dimensional space so that we can't necessarily perceive them. I think that's a lot more problematic, a lot more uncomfortable for people because ultimately it seems like humans are ever engaged in the attempt to make themselves more comfortable with the reality, whatever they have to come up with as an explanation for that reality. Well, we're not going to talk about prepackaged realities on this episode, all right? First, we're going to be hearing from Mark Allen, one of the three owners of AboveTopSecret.com, an alternative message board forums that tens and tens of thousands of people visit every single day. Incredible amount of traffic, and we're going to find out what he believes and how he got start in this crazy business and later on the show ken thomas conspiracy theorist power politics expert will join us as well all this coming up on the powercast i have a feeling we're not in kansas anymore we have william burns the publisher of ufo magazine on the line william can you give us an offer for our readers about getting the magazine Yes, I sure can. Here's an offer for your listener. We have a special five-issue introductory offer for first-time subscribers, $19.95 for your first five issues. Not available anywhere else, but on the Paracast. So, Bill, how do they place the order? People can place orders by going to www.ufomag.com. They can also place orders over the phone at 1-888-UFO-MAGA, or they can write to us at Post Office Box 11013, Marina Del Rey, California, 90295. Bill, give us that contact information again. It is UFO Magazine, Post Office Box 11013, Marina Del Rey, California, 90295, or they can go directly to www.ufomag.com, and they can also call 1-888-UFO-MAGA, and they can subscribe right over the phone with a credit card. This is The Paracast, with your hosts, Gene Steinberg and David Bietti. You never know what's going to happen next. 
So we're talking with Mark Allen from Above Top Secret today, and I'm curious, Mark, what's the typical makeup of the average Above Top Secret reader? (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like a loaded question. The demographic, seriously, is uh, about 60% U.S. male 18 to 40, the golden demo. Uh, Some college, 35% of those are graduate or postgraduate degree, and then I guess, I don't know, half of them are, are bachelors, and the rest of them are just never quite finished. But they certainly have an above-average intelligence quotient compared to what I've seen in 20 years online in most discussion boards. So uh, on that note, I think we're very, very fortunate. But we've got lots of women, too. Don't, don't let me forget the women. But the, I would say the average would, would fit that demographic. People have been hearing about Above Top Secret. We mentioned this on the Paracast.com about AboveTopSecret.com. We discuss it in our message board from time to time as a source of information. But how did you get involved with your two partners in this crazy business? Oh, God. Um, Amazingly enough, I I came across Above Top Secret through my wife and just kind of fell in love with it because it it was the first message board of any significant size that I had found that wasn't full of the typical four letter word, three digit response of just crap and it really had some good information on it. Well, the site was being hacked by some disgruntled band members and at that point in time, the traffic was nothing like it is now and there just wasn't enough income on the site to purchase a really good security system. So I kind of stepped up to the plate. I had the resources and means and I contacted uh, Skeptic Overlord, my partner, and said, look, you know, how much are we talking about here? He told me and I just PayPal'd him the money and he was kind of shocked. And I said, you know, in return for this, let's work together and let's let's make a partnership out of this. And Simon Gray, the founder, the guy who actually created Above Top Secret when he was 17 or 18 years old, back in 1997, uh, agreed. And the rest is just kind of history, actually. That was it. It was it was over somebody trying to hack the site, a disgruntled member. Sometimes it takes the oddest little thing to get the ball rolling. What's the level of traffic on the site now, Mark? I mean, how many people read Above Top Secret a day? I like to do in months because it's easier for me to remember, um, okay. and, and it's a better average. We, we average anywhere from two and a half to three million unique IPs a month. So like in my house, there's one IP, but there's four readers. So you can kind of take from that what you will. I guess you'd say anywhere from two and a half to 10 million people a month are reading Above Top Secret. Interestingly, about 65% of our typical traffic is visitors, not registered members, which is very unique for a discussion board environment because typically, you know, the members way outnumber the visitors because, you know, what visitors are going to go there and read, they really can't interact with anyone. But with, with nearly 3 million posts and almost 300,000 different topics, I guess there's enough there to read that people just keep coming back. So, How much of that traffic uh, can you identify being from, for example, the U.S. military? Oh, we've got a very, very good representation of every military branch, every intel branch, <laughs> and then some we can't quite identify on the IP reports every day. Percentage-wise, it's, it's very, very, very small because, you know, the numbers are so big and there's so few of them that, you know, I'd say less than 1%, but right. uh, there's definitely representation from all of them. Less than 1% of a couple million a month is still pretty significant. So people are taking notice of what's being discussed on the boards. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let's uh, look I, I at that, for example. Now, we see that you have a conspiracy theory discussion forums, which covers everything from 9-11 conspiracy theories, skunk works, disinformation, general conspiracies, aliens and UFOs, Area 51, etc., etc. You have a general and shared topic discussion forums, which is just kind of people talking about everything, I gather. Sponsored yeah. forums, current events. You talk about a little bit of everything here. But I gather you are best known for alternative conspiracy theory points of view, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. That and we're, we're, believe it or not, we're pretty well known for our science and technology. If you scroll, keep going down, you'll see science topics. We have lots of university students that actually do thesis research and I guess just you know general uh, homework research too and and general non-thesis paper research through a lot of the the topics in our science topics thing too so we've kind of got a this dichotomy going of the conspiracy theory alternative UFO kind of out there subjects and then that's not quite balanced but approaching a balance with you know, scientific method, kind of peer-reviewed, you know, high-level high research stuff, too. Mm-hmm. Is there any sort of editorial oversight or, um, for example, in terms of the science topics, is there any kind of an academic oversight or, or is Above Top Secret basically a community that's governed by the community? It, it, it really is governed by the community. Um, we, we have a terms of use agreement. We call the TAC, the terms and conditions. That is the absolute maximum extent of any control that we will ever apply to above top secret. Really, I mean, the community is, is excellent at policing itself. If someone comes on there and they disrupt or they try to derail threads, typically within minutes, the, the, there'll be members in there correcting it. If that doesn't work, they will notify staff. We've got about 50 staff members who somebody's always online. We'll, we'll shut them down in that way. But as far as topic or subject matter, there is zero control as long as it's not porno. You know, there's a list of what's taboo uh, in the in the terms and conditions. Mm-hmm. Now, does it cost anything to become a member of this, or is it all free? It's all free. It, uh, it, the only thing it costs is an email address. That's hmm. it. We, I can pay for that. Podcasting, you got you got chat, you got your own blogs, you got you got the whole ball of wax. Ooh, and this is all proprietary stuff. It's all software that you guys developed yourself. That's correct. Well, I mean, now it it, it started as it's still PHP and MySQL, but it's been modified so dramatically that you know, like I said earlier. Um, off the air that, that it's about 98% custom code, but still the, the crux of it is still PHP. I mean, there's really no getting around that. It's right. the way you got to do it. Of course, you're using existing programming languages, but the end product is something that you kind of built yourself. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the podcast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at And don't forget to visit our forums where you can talk to fellow listeners and gene and data. Just go to theparacast.com and click on the forum links. That's the forum links at theparacast.com.
You're exactly. in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. We're talking to Mark Allen, one of the three owners of AboveTopSecret.com, where you can find discussions of just about anything. And I'm very curious as to what you believe. What subjects interest you the most of all the things that are dealt with at Above Top Secret? Oh, God. Without, without question, my favorite forum, if you will, and my favorite subject is the UFOs and aliens. And ironically, that's probably because I've never seen one of the damn things and it just fascinates me how many just incredibly brilliant and incredible people have seen them and, and have shared their stories with me over the years that I just absolutely refuse. I mean, just totally refuse to believe that it's that there's nothing going on. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense to me at all. While we're doing this interview, by the way, according to the number of posts listed at AboveTopSecret.com, they've had over 202,000 posts covering 10,823 threads or topics just on aliens and UFOs. 200. 2,000 messages. That's awesome. That's almost a lifetime and a half of information. <laughs> yeah, and it's all in there, I, I promise you. It's, you. You could spend a week reading, just reading through that forum. It, it'll change your, it, it may change your life, but it'll damn sure change your mind. <laughs> well, this is an interesting question, Mark, in looking at the development of online communities. There's been some interesting thresholds and issues I've witnessed over the many years I've been logging online. A lot of listeners to the show may, may or may may not be aware of the fact that before the internet there was an online world it was much harder to participate in but there were bulletin board systems that existed going all the way back into for example the 80s this was not yep. something that came about just with the internet but one of the things i've always personally found frustrating is very often the level of discourse and uh, where in not having for example editorial controls or any uh, any effort to really you know, control the content per se, what you find is that you have a lot of people that get online and communicate online because it would appear that they have problems communicating in the real world. Uh, and, uh, you know, this, I, I, you know, to some extent, I, I find this gets very frustrating because, you know, you want to have rational discussions about these often very irrational topics or topics that uh, tend to evoke a very emotional response from people. But you find that people get, they say things, for example, online that they would never say to your face. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I actually wrote a piece about that. I call it the digital ego. My partner coined the phrase, and I ran with it. And thankfully, a lot of people think I coined the phrase because of it, but I didn't. But the, the digital ego is alive and well, and I think it's a real entity, and I think that's really what you're talking about. Yeah. People who, who really would never, ever say the things that I've read to my face and still be standing. <laughs> That's yeah. always been typical, though, of the online message boards. And I go back to the days of Usenet, which yeah. is an older type, ladies and gentlemen, of message boards. And you had people there who would just lurk, hang out in those forums. And newcomers or newbies would show up there. And if you dared to present a point of view that was contrary to the prevailing wisdom, they would gang up on you oh, to a fare thee well. Yeah, we're really fortunate in that is one of the things that our TAC, our Terms and Conditions, is really, really driven to control, I guess. One of the unique things about Above Top Secret, like I said, one of the reasons I got involved was, yeah, we have that, but in comparison to or as a, as a percentage of the total 
of discussions on this huge board, it's it's so nominal that it really is a pleasure to interact with people here. And and I think you know that's by design. We we really enforce that gang you know gangs and and cliques that try to shut down someone else because you know they go against the grain are are instantly dealt with because that's just not we're we're agnostic. We take everybody. If you can speak rationally or or type rationally um, and present your ideas in a concise and, and relatively intelligent manner, you are welcome. And anybody that says differently, it just isn't going to be around long. <laughs> the one thing I notice here, you have so many messages, so many threads, and I go in there just about every day and I look at things, but it's very overwhelming. And for someone who is just coming to AboveTopSecret.com and they see so many topics, so many messages, so many subject forums, okay, where do they start? Do you have kind of a beginner's guide of where someone can begin and not be overwhelmed by it all? Yes, actually, that's something that we thought of, gosh, I guess about a year ago, and we've got what's called the Freshman's Forum. And I've got a fairly long welcoming post in there that, that's the top in the forum when you when you click on the, the forum itself. And it, it gives you kind of an outline and lets you know Pretty much what I just said that you know you're welcome number one and and just because you're a newbie don't you know don't think that you're not welcome because here's one of the owners saying that you are um, and then we've got lots of guidebooks that some of our wonderful members and staff have created that really do lay it out but I hear that a lot and I and I really do I mean I uh, several times a week people will say God you know this thing is just so big I don't know where to start and my kind of stock response to that is well. You know, there's 24 hours in a day, there's seven days in a week, there's usually 30 days in a month. Take your time. I mean, find, you know, what are you interested in? Start there. It, it'll grow on you, and you'll figure it out. It's just really, it's a good community. It'll work. I want to interject, Mark, and say that I really got into reading Above Top Secret last summer when I was tracking down information on a well-known UFO hoax case that the Paracast had helped debunk last year, among many other people who debunked this particular case. Doing my research, ran into a lot of information about this case that was up on Above Top Secret, and in specific found the postings of a fascinating gentleman who uh, I, my very first post ever to Above Top Secret was seeking Jeff Ritzman. And that's uh, how I originally hooked up with Jeff. In the interim, we've become very close friends, and he's a frequent guest on the show. And, and Jeff and I do a lot of work together now on analyzing images. We're going we're gonna to build up to this whole discussion about the O'Hare stuff in a moment. But the um, reason I brought this up is that I'm curious to know, you know, to, to get into doing something like this, you, you have to obviously have a real strong interest. Now, you've said that you personally have never seen a UFO, and that's fueled your interest in the topic, but is there any paranormal experience in your background that led you to be motivated to get into this realm at the extent to which you've gotten involved? Absolutely none. Can you believe none? It? None. Zero. Now, since we bought this house, but I've been interested and intrigued by this stuff for 20 years. Since mm -hmm. we bought this 100-year-old house, we've had some paranormal experiences in the house. That there's a huge thread that my wife started, Have I Disturbed Something, which is still an ongoing, it's one of our biggest threads. That, that kind of goes into that. But, but personally, myself, no, I, I never have. Just nothing. I feel I feel left out. 
<laughs> so you basically get some gratification. You basically you're you're experiencing these things by proxy, essentially through above above top secret. Yeah, but I th I think it's <laughs> yeah, kind of. I think it's more than that. I think with me, I've always I've always been fascinated with why and how, and and more importantly, who. And so my my driving thing is I really want to get at what's behind this because I know something is as I said earlier I've just talked to two I mean generals and and former high-level intelligence officers and people that just have everything to lose and nothing to gain have, have just shared stuff with me and you know David Biedney there you go I mean he, what, what you told me last week is just another notch in my belt it's just amazing to me and and I guess it's just a passion you know everybody's got to have something <laughs> yeah oh yeah I mean you know besides music for me uh, well let's see besides music technology psychology art yeah I have no hobbies <laughs> politics well, comedy po oh, I don't like politics and I, I wouldn't know a funny thing if it hit me in the head with a rubber <laughs> banana just I wouldn't know well it I, might I, be a tomato the tomato no. he knows Gene and I love to hear from our listeners. If you'd like to share your thoughts with us, send your messages to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to check out our website at theparacast.com, where you can download past episodes of the show for free and visit our dynamic discussion forums. Also, please patronize our sponsors. Tell them that you heard their ads on the Paracast. They'll appreciate it, and we will too. This is Tim Beckley, Mr. UFO, reporting for ConspiracyJournal.com. Fascinated by the strange and unknown, things that go bump in the night, UFOs, time travel, Area 51, the Philadelphia Experiment, shady government cover-ups? Don't be left out in the lunar cold. Sign up now for our weekly online newsletter and receive our snail mail catalogs. Go to conspiracyjournal.com or email Tim Beckley at mrufo at webtv.net. It's all out of this world. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next. You're in the Paracast. Or tomato or tomato. It's whatever you want. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney. We're talking to Mark Allen, one of the three owners of AboveTopSecret.com. And that's a place where you can talk about almost everything religious conspiracies, lost civilizations, politics, power politics, science and technology, medical issues. I'm reading a small fraction of what's here. This board is awesome. It's all message board, okay? It is all message boards and you can kind of set it up the way you like okay you can have a light interface you can have a dark interface I'll go for the light we'll try the light and just lots of exciting things are happening there and I think a lot of the people who study the paranormal who are interested in getting into it really deep and communicating getting involved with lots of people are going to visit here as I do as David does well let's talk about a specific threat and, and you know what's really kind of motivated our reason for having Mark on today, which is the O'Hare incident and the thread that's uh, a 
appeared on Above Top Secret around this incident. This specifically relates to the um, incident reported on November 7th at O'Hare International Airport and all of the discussion that's generated, been generated from it and the issue of these photos. Now, Mark, you and I first started talking because Jeff Ritzman pulled me in uh, <laughs> to, to look at these uh, these images that you guys were being sent by people mm -hmm. and um, this started to eat up a bunch of the hours of my life um, looking at this stuff and getting involved with the analysis with Jeff. Jeff has really been the face of the team on Above Top Secret. He is well respected. He's a very heavy poster on your forums. I, on the other hand, have kind of been, uh, for lack of a better term, a lurker. I've been sort of reading and posting less, though. That is about to change because I've been looking at the way that the O'Hare thread has played out. And um, I just wanted your, your thoughts about the fact that there's been some really interesting stuff revealed about the multiple photographs. I mean, Above Top Secret has been instrumental in debunking a number of these photos. There's the one photo that Jeff and I feel is at the very least enigmatic, especially given the uh, the testimonial from the person who has stepped forward, eyewitness, to verify a lot of our findings and to really help educate the readership of Above Top Secret on what actually happened that day. Yet there's been this almost backlash against eyewitness uh, against even y you and your partners about supposedly having some dark agenda in promoting the O'Hare episode. <laughs> Let's start the discussion about this. What are your thoughts about people, you know, claiming that, well, Above Top Secret has uh, is behind eyewitness and she doesn't even exist. She's just on here to generate traffic. What do you say to that? Well, the first thing I typically do when I see that is I try to remember if I've seen that person anywhere else. That's, that's usually, the digital ego is a powerful manif manifestation in some people. And mm -hmm. believe it or not, several of the people in that particular thread have ulterior motives behind why they're saying what they're saying. Now, as far as the people that, you know, honestly just wonder that, you know, it's, it's just kind of crazy to me. I mean, if, if we invented this person and, you know, she was some kind of marketing ploy or I, I don't know what the hell the motive would be, but uh, we certainly don't need the traffic, but, uh, you know, if, if that was behind, I certainly wouldn't have had Jeff Ritzman talk to her. Um, I certainly wouldn't have had Linda Moulton Howe interview her. You know, I would have kept her under wraps and said, well, she wants to remain anonymous. Uh, hello? <laughs> so, you know, when you get big like this and, and millions of people come and go, there's a certain element, especially on the Internet, of people that just didn't fit in. And for whatever reason, we just kind of had to ban them, you know? I mean, and God knows we've tried. We've given several opportunities to kind of shape up and get, get be a part of the community instead of a thorn in the community's side. Right. And those people have a hard time getting over that stuff sometimes, and this is kind of what happens. No, absolutely. And, and you know, I've uh, a few times in the last couple of weeks in reading some of the thread about the O'Hare picture, I've had to restrain myself from getting on there and flaming people. Usually I'll call yeah. Jeff up. We'll, we'll yell at each other for a little while, then we'll both calm each other down. Um, we've gotten really good at doing that with each other. But, um, you know, it, it's frustrating to me that we seem to be in a society where people are so hell-bent on instant gratification. Yes. Eyewitness, of course, had talked about the notion 
information that she had seen a number of people in the parking lot and on the roadside taking pictures with everything from cell phone cameras to real cameras of the object in the sky above O'Hare. And there's been this outcry on the forum of people saying, well, if those pictures exist, what? where are they? Why don't we have them? This sense of entitlement that people feel that because they want these things, that it's the responsibility of the people who took the pictures to get those things to the community. Where are they? We want them. What are your, what's your thought about that? I, I have some real dark thoughts about that issue, about people's <laughs> <laughs> attitudes about that. What's your take on it, Mark? I, I really think that, you know, there's there's a certain group of people that want to believe so badly, but, but they just can't without that you know, smoking gun in their hand. And here here I I personally think this is as close to getting a smoking gun as we've been in my lifetime and maybe as close as we're gonna get. And that's why I'm not letting this one go. So I, I think that that there, it is just pure frustration on, on one group of people. On another group of people, I think that they are just absolutely hell-bent on, for whatever reason, making this story to be something less than what it may actually be. In other words, they, they're so dead set on debunking it and calling it a hoax or whatever, for whatever reasons they have. Some of them, I think, are employees of certain organizations that you know that drive their motivation from that angle. Um, I think other ones are just people that are in a comfort zone that would be shattered if the evidence of this comes forth. So their motivation is kind of a personal thing to keep their little world kind of the way they understand it to be. But I think, you know, people do get instant gratification in this society and in this time. And when they don't get it, they react badly and they behave badly, I think, really is pretty much it. It's a pity that discussion of these topics has become, for, for many, what appears to be just another form of entertainment mm-hmm. instead of an actual pursuit of truth. I mean, do you feel that the majority of the people who come to Above Top Secret are doing this as essentially a form of entertainment, or do you think they're really looking for answers? I think the majority of our members are truly, you know, either looking for answers or out to disprove everything. I really think there's kind of two camps. And I think the two camps can get along as long as they're courteous and, you know, follow the, the terms and conditions. I think when you become a zealot in either direction, you kind of lose touch with reality. So I, I think there's a smaller percentage of people in it for the entertainment value or the, or the whatever that deal is, I, I really do believe that the majority of our membership really are looking for answers. We're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Behitney, and we're proud to have an extended conversation here with Mark Allen, one of the three owners of AboveTopSecret.com. And we're talking also of how they've been covering the O'Hare UFO case, and in a sense, it's one of the best places, possibly the best place, to get information on the ongoing investigation. David? Well, along those lines, you know, there are some other forums that exist online that it seems work very hard to try to discredit Above 
top secret, Mark. I mean, there. <laughs> I won't mention the name of the the online discussion forum. I, I I had gotten an email from some from somebody saying, "Oh, look, they say that above top secret basically is doing this as a scam." I mean, is that a sense of them being jealous of that the fact that you guys are the biggest website? Is it that anybody who wants to play in the sandbox has to be 12 years old? I mean, what's <laughs> what's the deal with that? <laughs> Depending on which one it is that you're not naming. Let me break this down real fast and real easy. Okay. There's there's two or three of them that were started by people that got banned from AboveTopSecret.com. So they hate our guts. I mean, you know, I, I could climb up on a cross and forgive all mankind's sins, and I will still be the biggest scumbag on the planet Earth. There's that group. The, the other groups are purely either utterly misguided or just so green with envy that they can't stand themselves, or they're 12 years old. I mean, I, I really can't speak to their mind space because right. I, I don't live there. What I I would say is that if my trying to get out and gather as much data as possible on the O'Hare incident, if me doing that and using whatever small bit of clout that, that we've got because of AboveTopSecret.com's popularity, if, if that's wrong, then I want to be wrong because without the data, we got nothing. Well, clearly, yeah. Along those lines, is above top secret at the point where you guys have, for example, formally filed freedom of information requests with the government to, for example, liberate, as it were, some of the logs from the control tower that day? Because one of the things that we seem to be hearing is that uh, air traffic over O'Hare was put into a holding pattern for 10 or 12 minutes or so during this sighting in November. Have you guys attempted to perhaps flex some clout and muscle in getting a hold of some some paperwork through Freedom of Information? Yeah, actually, as an entity, ATS has not, but our members who... We've got members that are air traffic controllers themselves, and mm-hmm. without giving any anything away to anybody that I really don't want to know what's happening, yes, we have. Yes and no. I mean, as, a, as an entity, AboveTopSecret.com has not officially or, or in any way stepped forward to the government and said, hey, we want this information. But agents of AboveTopSecret.com, if you will, certainly have. So conversely, Mark, has ATS in the history of the site existing ever been approached by the government and told, hey, you guys are getting too close to something. We want you to pull back or we want you to perhaps shut down a form. Has there ever been an attempt to pressure you guys? Never. The only interaction that we've had on an official basis between us and the government was we had a member put up a bunch of the direct dial lines for less than obvious agents of a major intelligence operation agency in, oh, in the whoa. United States government. <laughs> oh, well. We got contacted real quick by a very high level, uh, like a GS-17 or 18 manager within that intel organization and asked to remove the numbers. Well, we did, but we also asked him to remove his agent who is trying to amass our members' personal data and if we ever saw him or that IP on our site again, we will bring all of you know the legal resources we can muster to bear on them and expose them and just let you know turn loose the hounds of hell. So that that interaction went really well. Actually, the guy was very polite. He was very understanding. He he knows that you know we're not a couple of kids in the basement at mom's house 
screwing around here and that we've got very, very high, high level and, and high quality legal representation and, and we will, you know, defend it. So uh, as far as pressure, no. To answer your question, I know I kind of got off on a tangent and I apologize, but no, no, not, not ever. I would think, Mark, that a lot of our listeners would imagine that indeed you guys would have been receiving a bunch of pressure from the government, especially if, for example, in the case of the O'Hare episode, there were any revelations or if there was any sense of getting close any truth that you would have indeed been contacted. Now, along those lines, though, you said that a number of the members of Above Top Secret are things like air traffic controllers. That being the case, and given that we hear that lots of photos were taken, I think it is valid to sort of ask the question, why do you think we haven't seen more photos from the O'Hare incident? One of the things that my partner and I have talked about is that, you know, somebody out there with a cell phone taking pictures of this thing with a typical cell phone, got home, looked at it, and the object may have been one or two pixels. They couldn't see it on their cell phone screen. Let's right. say they took the extra step, downloaded it to their computer, looked at it. But still, one or two pixels, I mean, it's not really going to look like anything. So that takes care of the cell phone people. Potentially. Now, the, the people who had the cameras, I'm at a loss. I really am. You know, yeah. um, one of the obvious things is they're negotiating with the Inquirer. I mean, I don't know. Uh, right. Well, there was that note on Above Top Secret about Dan Aykroyd supposedly claiming that he has access to some footage even of this uh, encounter. And perhaps that's why we weren't seeing this stuff come forward, that people were trying to make some money on it. I've got an interesting theory about that, that I will absolutely eat the words I'm about to say if Dan Aykroyd would only come forward and confirm that, you know, yes, he's got footage, or, or no, he doesn't really have footage, but he's planning on doing a reenactment and making a DVD about the subject, which is kind of what I suspect. Until Dan Aykroyd steps out publicly and says, you know what, I do have video, or no, that was a misstatement, I'm making a, a DVD, doing a reenactment, et cetera, et cetera, until he comes forward and says that, I've got this bad feeling in my gut that that was put out there to shut the conversation down. Really? Because on his, on his part? No, no, I don't think it was on Dan Aykroyd's part at all, and I want to uh -huh. be real clear about that. But I, I think that if somebody really wanted to stop the search, stop the speculation, that's a pretty effective way to do it. You know, and, and there's a couple of companies involved in this that that have a, a pretty solid motivating factor to get this out of the, the limelight. Um, United Airlines just came out of bankruptcy. You know, they don't need this kind of aggravation. <laughs> and uh, uh, and I'm not saying that they put the story out either. But but I just think that it's, and it's my conspiratorial mind working again. But mm -hmm. it's, it's a real good way to stop the frantic search or the focus on finding more visual evidence and documentation of this thing by coming out and making a statement, hey, we got video, everybody can relax. Well, it could also be a way to sell something, sell a product. Exactly. You are about to enter another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a sinister land of secret rites, passwords, initiations, and handshakes where the truth remains hidden and history is controlled by an elite group of mysterious men. Imagine, if you will, that I'm holding a book in my hands that explains this secret history and that the name of this book is Conspiracies and Secret Societies, The Complete Dossier. Here is described centuries of dark dealing, lies, murder, mayhem, and cover-ups in the pursuit of unimaginable money and power. 
My name is Brad Steiger, and the stories you are about to read may have actually happened at the signpost up ahead. Your next stop, Conspiracies and Secret Societies, The Complete Dossier. Gene and I love to hear from our listeners. If you'd like to share your thoughts with us, send your messages to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to check out our website at theparacast.com, where you can download past episodes of the show for free and visit our dynamic discussion forums. Also, please patronize our sponsors. Tell them that you heard their ads on the Paracast. They'll appreciate it, and we will too. You're in the Paracast with James You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney, Mark Allen, one of the three owners of AboveTopSecret.com, joins us. And we're talking about, I guess, would be probably the largest alternative message board system in the world, certainly the largest I've ever seen or heard about. And also, when you read the messages, the thing that impresses me is that you have so many smart people there. It's not just a bunch of kids playing games. A lot of smart people talking about a lot of important subjects. David, let's look at a couple of other things stories. Of course, we have the O'Hare case. But looking here, we have a lot of other conspiracy theories coming. Like the 9-11 conspiracy has quite a bit of participation. And in another part of our show, we have Ken Thomas, who's going to be talking about that and other subjects. Do you have any particular feeling about it after going through all those thousands of messages? (laughs) 9-11 is, without question, there are more questions than answers. You know, I think there's very little doubt that a cover-up happened after 9-11, and my personal view is the government got caught with its pants so far down that it could never admit how far down they were. Yeah. Um, there's just way too many reports of interesting people snooping around those buildings before like 10 days before, nine days before, elevator contractors that that weren't on anybody's records. There was no job assignments for the days that they were in there, 10, 11 days before the the buildings came down. Incredible video footage showing what absolutely appears to be squibs, which are demolition term for, you know, pre-planted explosives at integral stress points in a building, which help it fall perfectly like those buildings did. Like somebody Uh, wanted it to fall. Yeah, yeah. The design engineer's report, the guy who designed the building, absolutely and vehemently does not believe those planes brought those buildings down. I mean, what more do you need to look at? And at every turn, the government refuses to release all the data, just like O'Hare. Give me the data. Without the data, what do you got? You got nothing. I think America is in for, if if the people win, I think we're in for another smack upside the head, almost to the level of Watergate, or or potentially much worse than Watergate. Yeah, Um, much worse. I mean, that was a a pretty trivial break-in by comparison. Right. I I don't mean the event. I don't mean to compare the events as being worse or not worse. I I mean the the black eye that we're going to get, I think, is going to be. No, it sounds like it's going to be, if... 
we ever get to the bottom of it or if people just kind of put it aside and just say, hey, it's just a bunch of those conspiracy theorists. They don't know what they're doing. It's the left wing. It's the right wing. It's the wing wing, whatever. (laughs) We can't pay attention to those people. But then tell me about the fact that they supposedly designed these buildings to be resilient against this sort of thing. Well, the reality of that was that they had theoretically designed the buildings to be resistant against airplane impacts, but they hadn't taken into account huge jetliners full of fuel. That was the the catch there that later came out, that they had not factored that into the equation. So I think it's important to point that out. And I mean, talking about 9-11 conspiracies, I I would agree with with Mark in that there there definitely seemed to be an attempt from the part of the government to cover up their incompetence that day. I have a bit more of a problem with the idea, for example, those videos clearly showing squibs going off. I'm not so sure about that. You know, there are a lot more questions I think you could ask about the destruction of World Trade Center 7, that building. Yes. And uh, many more questions there. And also, to my mind, the most disgusting thing about what happened in the aftermath was the destruction of all the evidence. This was a crime scene. You know, the first thing that uh, Giuliani did when he when he got into this was to make sure that all the steel from the remnants of those buildings was was melted down. I, I have a real hard time with that. If this was indeed a crime scene, and certainly it was, how is it that you, in an institutional way, just start to get rid of all the evidence? That, to me, is just, that's just wacky. The other subject, of course, is how could something crash into the Pentagon the way it did? You're telling me they didn't know this was happening, it didn't have enough warning and enough time to stop that before it happened? We have been attacked as a site, I guess, or as an entity, by so many people of being the you know, pro-government theory on, especially on the Pentagon, where, you know, it got to the point we had to put up um, big banners to say the Pentagon was hit by an airplane. The Pentagon was hit by a missile, you know, both point and counterpoint. And I'm with you on the Pentagon. You know, the security camera, remember the big release back, I guess, in in November, whatever. I mean, what a joke. What the hell was that? Man, you know, we think Building 7 has a lack of data. Jesus Christ, I, I don't know what what the deal is with the Pentagon. There's cameras everywhere around that, that facility. I've been there. Dude, you can't blink your eyes without 30 people seeing you blink your eyes. Whoa, what were you doing at the Pentagon, Mark? Oh, no, do, no, do, no. Do, 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 Nothing. Tourism. 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 Tourism? Tourism of the Pentagon? What are you talking about? No, no, no. no. Yeah, you can. Uh, I, was, I was in the United States Coast Guard a thousand years ago. The public can go to the you know, and view the Pentagon. I mean, it's not it's not restricted to that degree. But no, I, I was not in any dark secret meetings in the Pentagon. Oh, okay. <laughs> Never been inside. I, many moons ago, I taught at a facility called the Codex Center for Creative Imaging up in Camden, Maine. I had one class where I had a bunch of these... Uh, CIA guys, um, they were taking an advanced Photoshop class of mine. They were real interested in things like um, adding color back to embossed photographs. The, at the end of the whole thing, it was a multi-week class, and at the end of it, one of the guys came up to me. It was like a whole crew of these guys, and one of these guys came up to me. And that, that day, I was wearing a tie-dye T-shirt. <laughs> and, uh, he came the up only his... day in his life. That's no, why he came no, no, up to not... him to say that's the worst shirt I've seen. Oh no 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 no! no. <laughs> These guys love the class. It was uh, we actually got along really great. There are a 
a lot of strange uh, subsidiary stories about that. But the important thing was one the one guy who was like the leader of these guys came up and he said, you know, we'd be happy to have you come visit us at our headquarters. And I looked at him and I said, you really think they'd, they'd let me in in a T-shirt like this? <laughs> he looks at me and goes, we could, we could accommodate that. <laughs> I thought, oh, great. I have an yeah. invitation to Langley that I'll never be taking advantage of. Yeah, um, you never come out again. After the yeah. show, of course, I don't think that invitation is going to hold. Yeah, I, somehow, somehow I doubt it, especially these days. But, I mean, they're just people like anyone else. You know, these yeah. guys, they're just human beings with families and trying to maybe have some semblance of security. I mean, I, look, you know, you have to basically differentiate between, for example, the kinds of people who perpetrate some of this stuff and people who are parts of the machine. I mean, you know, right. and, you know, in this great experiment called democracy, uh, we're all parts of this. We're all cogs in this machine. And, you know, I think that things like above top secret do serve a purpose. We have to have some outlet to vent frustration with the situation and to try to explore the reality. I contend, Mark, that, you know, for example, if we actually came to any real understanding about O'Hare, that the truth of that is probably far stranger than anybody has postulated about on Above Top Secret. You know what I mean? I agree 100% with that statement. Matter of fact, I'd like to quote you on that because sure. it's 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 been my experience. We charge extra for the quote, by the way. <laughs> it's, it's it's been my experience that you know when when we really think we we've got our minds wrapped around just some bizarre thing that when the truth comes to light, it was something so much even more bizarre than than we could have thought that we just couldn't think of it. That's why whenever I hear these pundits and experts spouting off about this, that, and the other thing, I just always kind of take a step back and I go, you know, this guy doesn't have any more of a clue than that guy. And my life experience has been they're both wrong when, when the truth comes out. That's why we can't figure it out because it's beyond our ability to rationalize. And, and that's really why I'm in such hot pursuit of it because from the people I've talked to about this, this incident in O'Hare, I'm just convinced that it was something so way out there that it like I said, it, it, like I say about our forums, you know, it could be it could be life changing, but it'll damn sure be mind changing. You've spoken in the last number of days. Um, you've spoken to John Hilkovich, the uh, Chicago Tribune reporter who broke this story. What further insights were you able to glean from him? John is a really really nice guy. I want to say that because he really is, and you, you just can imagine the tremendous pressure he's got to be under from people like me and all the people on the internet and all the UFO guys. You know, the guy must be getting a thousand emails a day. He told me, and I asked him straight up, I said, John, look, are you done with this thing? I mean, are you washing your hands of it? I know you're a transportation reporter. You're not a paranormal reporter. You're not a UFO guy. You know, and I would completely understand if you if you washed your hands of this and just wanted to get back to your normal life. And I really expected him to say, you know, yeah, but he didn't. And it really gave me a lot of hope that the average guy who's really not into these subjects, when he gets kind of thrown into it, you know, there's hope that humanity, when when a guy like that will actually stop and go, well, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. And and I'm not going to just go back into my comfort zone. He's going to write another piece. He has not washed his hands of this. He is as confused as we are about why there's no more images that have appeared. Um, he's as confused as we are about why did the FAA deny this thing even happened until he filed the Freedom of Information Act. And then all of a sudden they admitted it. We understand why United did, for Christ's sake. 
say they just got out of bankruptcy. They've got a PR issue. They they don't want their employees running around on the news channels talking about UFOs over restricted airspace at O'Hara. Right. Yeah. Thank All you very right. much, Mark Allen, one of the owners of AboveTopSecret.com. If you want to participate or just lurk and read cutting-edge discussions on a host of topics, go to AboveTopSecret.com. Mark Allen, thanks for joining us on the Paracast. We hope you'll be back many, many times in the future. Uh, it, my pleasure, and thanks for having me, guys. You guys knock it out and have a great one. Welcome back to the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Vietti. So, Ken Thomas, we have a number of comments in our message boards over at thepowercast.com talking about the various 9-11 conspiracies. So maybe we should start off looking at that particular situation. So I ask you, Ken, do any of these conspiracy theories have any traction? What's the general flavor of what they're claiming? Well, I guess the basic thing is that uh, some kind of foreknowledge uh, of the event was had by uh, the Bush administration and Cheney and the Project for the New American Century is another big one, the neocons, that 9-11 was all kind of a, a setup and a pretext uh, to, to bring us into the Middle East. Okay. It was interesting. You know, I saw Howard Zinn talking about this over the weekend on C-SPAN. Do you know Howard Zinn? He is a, a fantastic historian and it, probably it, the, true, the true holder of the real history of this country. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that far. <laughs> but well, maybe not that far, but Zinn and Chomsky kind of represent one pole of uh, intellectual critique of American foreign policy, right. I guess. And it was very interesting because somebody, you know, none of this, his talk had anything to do really with 9/11. It was more kind of like you know the People's History, uh, which is the book that he wrote. And, but somebody from the 9/11 Truth Movement stood up and asked him a question in the Q and A uh, exactly about what he thought about this stuff. And for years, and as much, and, and I, I agree, Howard Zinn is a brilliant man in many ways, a very kindly old guy. And the same thing with Chomsky. But for years and years, that whole pylon of intellectualism has been totally down on any idea of conspiracy theories. Chomsky mm-hmm. has written, you know, books about totally opposing any notion of conspiracy in the Kennedy assassination, for instance. And Zinn basically uh, looked at the guy and, and was doing what we were just about to do, you know, just the, thinking about all the different accusations that have been made about it. And uh, he basically said, well, I just don't know. Uh, or in a way he was saying, I don't know nothing about no secrets. Hmm. And then after that, it was kind of a rah-rah thing, but we all got to get involved in our democracy. And I think that's kind of gets down to the heart of what the 9-11 truth movement is, as opposed to just all these kind of lightweight leftists who, you know, pick up placards on the weekends and go down to the Washington Mall. The whole movement, as misguided as a lot of it is, is at least an attempt to look at the event and name names and figure out dynamics and concretize what about it is totally at odds with what is being said about it by the administration. So it's probably fair to say that you've got, on one hand, the official 9-11 Commission report, which um, seems fairly bland and fairly predictable. On the other hand, we have the ultra-left-wing conspiracies that would have you think that Cheney was pushing the buttons to detonate the explosives in the Trade Center towers. And somewhere in the middle, 
of those two positions, perhaps there is an actual reality of what really happened that day. Yeah, let's say something like that. Well, let's uh, take a look at that. Now, what part of the conspiracy are these people claiming? What are the facts they're claiming are being withheld or being distorted? Well, there are any number of them. One of the big ones involves that building, the building seven that collapsed. Mm-hmm. That, uh, All right. Yeah, the the manager, the owner of the building was uh, taped on PBS as saying that uh, uh, we had to be pulled, quote unquote, you know, that it was reduced by some kind of explosive charges rather than debris from the crash. And then, of course, people have said that about the towers themselves, that this was more of an explosion than the crashes of the planes. So there's that level of detail. And then there's all kinds of things. Uh, actually, I wrote the introduction for one of the first books that, that, that reviewed all this, that, that put up the timeline and reviewed a lot of this stuff. It's called The Shadow Government by Len Bracken. Mm-hmm. And there are things like a short-selling spree that happened right before 9-11 that gave clear indication that there was some foreknowledge that it was going to happen. People made a fortune off the stock market. They basically, the same thing that happened after at the time the Kennedy was shot. Basically, and, uh, this is where people made money on the fact that the stocks of United and American went down significantly. Right, right. This, I, right. I don't really quite understand it. It's called short-selling. And this was done when Kennedy was shot. This was done, uh, one of the main beneficiaries of that whole process was Warren Buffett. This is when he first started buying up um, American Express stock because of something Hmm. called the Great Salad Oil Swindle right on November 22nd, 1963. It's a recognizable pattern for a lot of kind of international disasters. It's um, foreknowledge. You know, nothing really happens without somebody knowing about it. And if something really big is going to happen, there's going to be somebody there to try to exploit it. And that's really my sense of 9-11, is that I don't believe that the Bush administration people were involved actually in doing it. But when it was happening, you know, uh, Cheney issued a stand-down order. You know, they were they, when, it, when it was happening, it was like, whoa, this is some energy we can work with. And they kind Yeah, of, it's like right, a happy yeah. accident. Yeah. Yeah, but then of course that's above and beyond having all those kind of financiers and uh, multi-corporate national monster people out there that 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 did plan it, you know, the people that back Al Qaeda and so forth, uh, you know, that that's that's out there. I think I think the real danger is to to think that you know whoever is currently occupying the White House is the chief conspirator in the world. You know, I mean that's a joke. <laughs> the next moron is going to occupy that. That seed is going to have, you know, a whole world full of trouble that he will only partly be able to perceive. And I, I think that's what that's what's going on with Bush. I don't think George Bush really knows the depth of the conspiracy here. Well, some people say, well, of course, it's Dick Cheney pulling the strings. But wouldn't it be more fair to say, if we're going to accept this conspiratorial scenario, that the strings are being pulled elsewhere, higher up, whatever? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the, 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 book, the book that I did called The Octopus, based on the research of Danny Casolaro, kind of described this thing, this multinational or transnational power block that's manipulating events. And that the, the, the Dick Cheney's of the world and the George Bush's of the world are just some small players in it. Basically, it's the scenario that's described by the Jenkins character, if I remember the name correctly, that um, Ned Beatty played in the movie Network, where he's describing to Howard Beale the cosmology of this world, and he paints it as essentially not a world concerned with governments, but a world concerned with businesses, and where effectively the power base has shifted from being in any way political to being economic. At this point, to look at the world that Network painted, 
And to, have, to realize that at the time that the movie came out, which was in 1976, it was seen as some dark, satirical v- vision of the world. To see <laughs> it now, right? I mean, it's all basically essentially come true. You know, I watched this movie. You told me about it on an earlier show, and you mentioned to me that there was a new edition, a new mm-hmm. spruced-up edition. And that minute I went on Amazon, bought a copy, watched it a few days later, and I said, oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Everything they're talking about here is more or less come true. I mean, we're just short of killing people on TV in a reality show, but we're getting pretty close. Whoa, no, we're we're already there. And and I'm curious to know about Ken's feelings about what I'm about to say. I I contend that, indeed, the week of the 9-11 tragedy was exactly that. It was this terrible experiment in media where the American population, really the entire world, but mostly inside of the United States, all we did for an entire week was, indeed, to watch snuff television all week long. I think most of you know that I love radio, and so I decide to look for the ultimate receiver for AM reception because I want outstanding AM reception, day and night, especially night where it gets difficult. So I've discovered that C-Crane CC Radio Plus has earned the reputation of having the best AM reception, which is exactly what C-Crane intended when they designed this gem of a radio. Along with its legendary AM reception, it also has excellent FM reception, a weather band, TV audio, and the ability to run on batteries for, and listen to this, 250 hours. So whether you use it as your bedside radio in your kitchen or at work, the CC Radio Plus will give you the pleasure of clear AM reception. The radio is designed for the clarity of the human voice and the benefits of useful features like five memory buttons per band. They work just like memory buttons in your car. A sleep timer. An alarm clock so you can get up at the right time, and a weather alert that now works as an all-hazards alarm. You know what I want you to do? I want you to buy that radio, but also support this show by visiting our site, theparacast.com. That's theparacast.com right now. Click on the C-Crane Sponsored button to order the CC Radio Plus for $164.95, and that includes free ground shipping and a free C-Crane catalog. Place your order order today. Gene and I love to hear from our listeners. If you'd like to share your thoughts with us, send your messages to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to check out our website at theparacast.com, where you can download past episodes of the show for free and visit our dynamic discussion forums. Also, please patronize our sponsors. Tell them that you heard their ads on the Paracast. They'll appreciate it, and we will too. This is The Paracast, with your hosts, Gene Steinberg and David Bietney. You never know what's going to happen next. You're in The Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney, and we have conspiracy theorists, power politics expert Ken Thomas with us. And if you check steamshovelpress.com, you can check into his publication, which tells a lot of intriguing stories, presents a lot of interesting information. David, okay, let's go to the other shoe there. Well, I'm curious to know what Ken thinks about this idea that this reality of snuff television was one that was perfect 
perpetrated on us for a week. I mean, there was no other programming that week. It was basically footage watched yeah. over and over again of planes slamming into buildings. Ken, well, my, my, what do you God, think about I mean, that? Well, yeah, <laughs> it was a pretty significant event, though, at the time, and you can imagine uh, why the cameras were turned on it. Actually, I do remember. Oh, sure. uh, I remember at the time that there were reports that children would be watching these constant reruns of the planes crashing into the buildings, and the children would think that it was a different building every time. Oh, you know? man. There was some effort to get them to turn away from that because it was uh, kind of making it a bigger horror than it really was. But, you know, they, they said this also about the Kennedy assassination, that eventually they, when they, after it took, I think, 12 years for the Bruder film to finally get on television, but the whole idea of it being played over and over again was basically a message that was being sent out to people, hey, you know, we can do this to, to him, think of what we can do to you, that, that everything, that all these disasters that are... Uh, certainly in some part created, are intended basically to try, you know, to present some kind of horror story over and over to the populace to make sure that they're really, you know, kind of frightened by that. And by coincidence, I was watching some footage from 1985. Uh, we Are the World. You remember that? Oh, yeah. It was, yeah, there's a bunch of rock stars trying to get together. And I was, <laughs> it was amazing to me to, to see the, the, the pre-9-11 world to touch base with that, where the biggest problem was a famine that was going on in Africa, and all of the rock stars of America were going to take care of that with this song. And they and sure I, did, didn't they? <laughs> Can I hear a response? Where did the money go that they collected from that thing? Did it do anything? Oh, it, it never goes anywhere. Obviously, these rich, fat cat rock stars are part of the problem, right? Well, you know what's happening now? They put all their money in the Netherlands. You, you read this story. All the rock stars who live outside the USA, specifically U2 and the Rolling Stones, some of the richest rock stars in the world, they but go the to the Netherlands and stick all their money there. Is it, what, is it a tax dodge or something? Absolutely, yeah. because there's yeah. no real tax on royalty income. So instead of going offshore like we do, you know, we go yeah. offshore to the Cayman Islands. You see, if you go to the Netherlands and you're in the USA, there is a tax, a 30% tax or something. But if you live in Europe, you know, in Ireland or the UK, and you go to to the Netherlands, you know, just take a train ride over there and you drop your money in big buckets into these specialty firms and you pay no taxes at all on your billions. Well, yeah, right. I mean, all of these things are, are, are creations of the public relations office of the various rock stars that get behind them. I mean, the other thing I was watching was uh, Springsteen when he was touring and raising money for the food banks in all the cities he would go to. And they had, it was a 2020 report, and they had this woman saying, and he gave me a $10,000 check. He didn't have to do that. 10000 miserable dollars and the millions and millions that he was raking in. And they made sure there were ABC news cameras there to show how generous he was because he was giving it all to the poor. And... Uh, it's all a big scam. Again, these super rich rock stars, a lot of whom actually are conspiracy theorists, you know, kind of believe uh, the 9-11 truth movement. But they, they tag on to their public image, these charitable causes or these social causes that never change the basics of what create the problems in the first place because, you know, they are the beneficiaries of the unfairness of it all. They make, you know, huge gazillions of dollars just for singing songs or, you know, playing baseball or whatever. So the question, of course, is Bono really changing the world or is Bono uh, oh, yeah, stocking Bono. away billions of dollars, or both. Bono, Bono was there at We Are the World 20 years ago, you know, saying the same thing, doing the same thing he's doing now. I'm sure he's richer now than he was there, but I bet you the starving people of Africa are starving worse than they were at that point. Of course, what about Bill Gates? He's doing it too. Warren Buffett is sharing his money with Bill Gates. Are they basically accomplishing the same thing, which of course is next to nothing? 
Uh, pretty much, yeah, pretty much. And again, like I said, Warren Buffett was the uh, was one of the chief financial beneficiaries of the fallout of the Kennedy assassination. So how is this different from any other time in history? The money talks, the money controls everything, the rest of us fall in step. When has this been any different at any point in history? <laughs> Gee, that was cynical and depressing. Well, no, I don't uh, think it's cynical. I think it's being uh, realistic and pragmatic. When has this been any different in history? In, in looking at history, some things seem true, always. The money is the power, and the power tends to protect its own interest. The power is well, not interested in the good of the people. That This seems to be a universal human truth. It's not a good thing. It's sad, but it seems to be true nonetheless. Well, there are certain factors that escalate things and make them more dangerous for instance atomic power or you know sure. the, uh, uh, you know you get higher stakes going on when you have situations in the middle east where you've got these mad mullahs rushing to get themselves an atomic bomb that's mm -hmm. a little different than just you know what the mad mullahs have been doing throughout history and then of course there are the environmental factors of global warming you know it's almost like we're all running out of time you know there's certain repetitive kinds of corruptions that appear through history but they realistic situation that mankind finds itself on on the planet just keeps getting worse and worse. So the need, the need to kind of understand it concretely and like move in a different direction is never more critical than, than now, really. Well, I, I'm not disagreeing with that at all, Ken. I, what I'm submitting is the fact that humans are not the noble creatures they think they are. They're essentially animals. They're concerned with survival. They can't see past their own noses. They pay lip service to the idea of let's honor the children while at the same time poisoning the planet those children are going to inherit. It seems to me like essentially human beings, for the most part, and look, there are exceptions to any case, but for the most part it looks like human beings are essentially greedy little consumer machines that only want what they want and don't really care about them, the, the, the greater good, as it were. I'm not saying this is a good thing. It's a sad thing. Yeah, well... Uh, it's really sad. Well, I mean, there's certain things that... There's nothing wrong with wanting things or trying to live a life that is pleasurable. But there are certain artificial things, like, uh, you know, the conspicuous consumerist culture that we have. You know, the SUVs and the, you know, these kind of pampered lifestyles that Americans have. But the more than they need, more than even makes them happy, actually makes them miserable. In, Absolutely. In yeah. The, they buy into the lie that consumer goods, that material comfort, will somehow be a magic pill for happiness. They realize that's not the case, so they turn to uh, they turn to antidepressants, which uh, is a real. You want to get into really frightening paranormal stuff. Uh, the fact that doctors don't exactly understand how the antidepressants work. Here, just take more. We'll figure it out later. You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney, and we're talking to Kenneth F. Thomas. He is the publisher of Steam Shovel Press, and we're talking about power politics. And we started up with the 9-11 conspiracy, and now we're talking about just the way people are. But I want to kind of refocus back to the 9-11 conspiracy yeah. here, yeah. because I think we should look at motives here. So, for example, if this was a put-up job, okay, 
by the secret government, by the military-industrial complex, whatever. What was their motive to increase the military budget to make us attack Afghanistan and Iraq? What? Well, I think all of those things, the uh, the quagmire in the Middle East would have happened whether 9-11 happens or not. You know, that was coming. They, we didn't really need that. It was just a matter of time. I personally, from everything I've seen, it, it looks to me like Al-Qaeda did that one. That 9-11 was actually airplanes flown into buildings by terrorist groups in the Middle East. And of course, you know, we have this understanding of Al-Qaeda as having grown out of the uh, Mujahideen, which was actually a creation of Jimmy Carter and the big New Brzezinski way back when. They supposedly created the Mujahideen to uh, counter the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan, mm, although they created it before that invasion ever happened. You know, that's a matter mm -hmm. of, of history. I mean, those groups do exist, and they are terrorists, and, you know, we didn't make it up. I mean, you see people out there arguing that the whole thing was, didn't even happen, that it would be a hologram, and people that say... What? Yeah, yeah, I've seen that one, yeah. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and that Al-Qaeda is, is, is nothing but a, a CIA database and these kinds of things, and just, I really don't buy any of that. So, in terms of motive, like I said, what I think happened is that, that these terrorists hit these buildings, and then these bastards who, are, who illegitimately occupy the White House. You know, we all know the history of how Bush got in there in the first place. They all said, hey, this is cool. We can really scare people with this, and we can proceed with this agenda that we already had much faster and, and more completely than we ever hoped we could. You know, so like I said, I don't really believe they did it, so I can't say that they had the motive, but I do think they took advantage of the situation. You know, and it's all patterned kind of like after the Reichstag fire. You know, that's how the Nazis got into power. You just, uh, you know, create a disaster, and you, you blame it on somebody else. It's yeah. funny. There was actually a movie what, eight or ten years ago, called The Long Kiss Goodnight, which was a star movie vehicle for, for Gina Davis. And the whole story was the fact that she was a former government assassin who loses her memory. When she gets her memory back, she has to defeat a CIA-sponsored plot to create a terrorist incident. Why? Well, of course, the CIA budget's going down, and therefore they had to do something to increase their budget, and why not have a terrorist incident to give them something to do? Hmm. Prophetic. Yeah, well, yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense. But, you know, one of the things, though, that I, that I, I try to move my readers away from is the fact that that's all that goes on is, you know, CIA and George Bush and all this stuff. I mean, that war, for instance, the last year between Israel and Lebanon, it's, it's a fact that Hamas kidnapped those soldiers right on the eve of uh, the Palestinians voting to make Israel a negotiating partner, that Hamas or Hezbollah, that they're the proxy army of Iran, and that Iran and Syria actually conspire together to keep uh, Israel and Palestine from becoming, you know, a, a power partnership in there. I mean, those conspiracies go on, too. So we have multiple conspiracies, but I guess right now we're looking at this particular conspiracy because where can it go? Assuming that even part of it was known. Or, you know, maybe it could have also been benign neglect. That's another possibility where we knew something was going to happen at the World Trade Center. But because it fit in with the strategic plans of whoever, okay, with whoever, we decided to use a little bit of benign neglect, let it happen and then use that as ammunition to do whatever we want to do. That's, you know, certainly a believable scenario. But let's take, for instance, the plane scandal. Do you follow that at all? Yeah. You know, Valerie Plame? Here we have a CIA agent, Valerie Plame, who got her husband involved in a bogus investigation of uh, Saddam Hussein's attempt to uh, uh, partner up with AQ Khan and the, the nuclear network 
work there in the Middle East, uh, and to come back and say there was, there was no such connection. And this is all an attempt by the CIA to try to, to work at odds against George Bush's war, because it was much more comfortable for them to use somebody like Saddam Hussein as their puppet, you know, and this open warfare business is uncomfortable to them. So you see all those kinds of parapolitical dynamics going on out there, too. And, you know, I just caution people to just to, to move away from the idea that this is all just, you know, George Bush and Dick Cheney killed all those people in 9-11 because they, they wanted this war. It's all a little bit more complicated than that. No, it's infinitely more complicated than that. And what people need to understand is that at this point, and, and this is something, Ken, that we see in so many aspects of paranormal investigation, that people try to boil things down to the most basic terms in order to get their brains around them. They need their reality painted in very broad strokes when, indeed, the world is really about subtleties mm -hmm. and about uh, the things that are not immediately obvious. And we see this in so many different aspects of trying to analyze the world situation where, you know, it's almost like what well, I call this the Star Wars disease, where everything has got to be either good or evil. Man, you know, Darth Vader, he was dark, so he was evil. And Luke Skywalker, he's always dressed in white, so he's good. Well, the, the, the fallout of the plane situation fits that scenario exactly. I mean, what we have now in the American left are people trying to condemn Karl Rove and George Bush and all these people for outing a CIA agent. It used to be a good thing out a CIA agent, you know? The, the, the law that's being invoked here, the Intelligence uh, Identity Protection Act, was actually a right-wing thing that was brought into existence after uh, Philip Agee supposedly exposed the CIA, the CIA chief in Athens and had him assassinated. So now you've got the left supporting this incredible thing that's protective of the CIA. <laughs> and that's how easily manipulated people are when they think in the kind of simple terms you were just talking about. So how are people supposed to try to come to any real conclusion about what's really happening? Can I mean, what is the methodology for then discovering tr true motives? Or is it even possible? Well, first thing is to subscribe to Steam Shovel Press. That's always your first clipper in your arrow. See. Yeah, okay, okay. That, I can go for the plug, man. How does one get a copy of Steam Shovel Press? <laughs> well, you know, I was just, right before you called, I was reviewing a lecture tape from many years ago by my old friend Robert Anton Wilson, who recently Oh, died. may he rest in peace. Oh, he man. He is, I'm actually uh, going to go out to Santa Cruz uh, for his memorial service. They're going to scatter his ashes. I envy over, you. Over the ocean. I'd and love to be there for that. It is a public event for those who are listening. It's on February 18th. But anyway, he was, uh, you know, he was a futurist and he was a positivist and he was, uh, you, you can't, you can't walk away from him without a better sense of well-being and, you know, kind of an improved sense of humor. One of the great, great comedians. And his, one of his whole approaches was to look at all information as signals coming from different reality tunnels. So if you felt, for instance, that you're too much of a simple-minded leftist and you're just blaming everything on a government and you don't, you know, you want to know more, well, start reading some right-wing opinion magazines, you know, or if you're just some cranky old right-winger who just believes this whole world is going to pot and, and, you know, pick up the nation and the New Republic and just pick up those signals because there are signals lacking in your environment. 
And when your neurons are fully firing and your brain is really going in all the directions, it's only when you've got a full complement of information from all the various reality tunnels out there. That was uh, Wilson's philosophy, you know, one, you know, one that I've followed ever since I met the man. That's absolutely true. I mean, the, the thing is that people tend to surround themselves with signals that feel good. It's our society's all about positive reinforcement. Oh, I'm depressed? Give me more depression. I don't like it, but at least I'm familiar with it. It's that old thing about why do people stay in bad relationships? Well, at least it's predictable. I know they're going to hit me. It's like, huh? How did we get to be this way? Well, if not, we just take the antidepressant to basically blot our minds. Live in a haze. Fate Magazine provides true reports of the strange and unknown. Keep up with the latest on angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, life after death, and much, much more. To receive your free issue of Fate Magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www dot f-a-t-e-m-a-g dot com what are you waiting for your fate awaits gene and i love to hear from our listeners if you'd like to share your thoughts with us send your messages to news at the com. that's news at the com. and don't forget to check out our website at the com, where you can download past episodes of the show for free and visit our dynamic discussion forums also please patronize our sponsors tell them that you heard their ads on the paracast they'll appreciate it and we will too you're in the paracast with gene steinberg and david biedney Never know what's going to happen next. Boys, I'm in my brain. You're in what? the Paracast, not a You're in the case. Paracast. <laughs> With Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boys. And we're talking to Ken Thomas on parapolitics, yeah. 9-11 conspiracies, the state of the world, and all that good stuff, or bad stuff, depending on your point of view. Yeah, I get that a lot, you know, oh, Ken, you're so negative with all this conspiracy talk, you know, you know, and I'm telling people, you got to have signals, so if you're an alcoholic, you need to take the, not the antidepressants, you know, if you're hooked on pills, you just need to get drunk. <laughs> Those are easy answers. <laughs> <laughs> I resemble yeah, that yeah. remark. But, but no, but no. The point is, that, you know, parapolitics. If you do it well, and, and not a lot of people do, it is depressing stuff. But it's an inoculant. Henry Miller used to say he wanted to inoculate the the world with disillusionment. You know, and if you really understand what these monkeys are doing, you know, a greater understanding helps to protect you from from their schemes. You know, in in the long run, we can't stop George Bush or Dick Cheney or the octopus or any of that stuff. But if we know it better. I don't know. You get a certain sense of satisfaction and a certain inoculation from uh, from feeling manipulated by it. Well, well, let's take a look at the octopus. Who is the octopus? Is, or is this the major industries, the oil companies, the defense contractors? Is that what the octopus consists of? Well, actually, no. It was, a, it was an intelligence cabal that, that uh, grew out of the OSS after World War II. You know, it's a network of power players, basically. It's kind of, you know, complicated, but it's, <laughs> it is in the book. Uh, <laughs> it's always in the book. 
It is so in the book, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was basically the octopus was uh, Danny Casalero was the, uh, the guy who uh, started documenting this thing that keeps reappearing on the scene. I mean, the latest, the latest octopus tentacle, for instance, is Robert Gates. Robert Gates was an Iran-Contra player that Casalero mm-hmm. had identified as a, kind of a second-tiered octopus player, you know, who was involved in, you know, Iran-Contra, that is, in selling weapons to Iran so that they could fund the illegal war in Nicaragua, which was a pattern of covert foreign initiatives that began with Ronald Reagan in 1980 with the October Surprise, making a deal with the Ayatollah Khomeini to hold on to the hostages until Carter lost the election. And now Robert Gates is running our war over there. He's the guy that replaced uh, Rumsfeld. Uh, he's the CIA guy, you know. He's the, uh, the, the, the in the factional fight that who's been maintaining this war, tipped in favor of the CIA and kind of moved away from what Bush was trying to do over there. And I imagine in the long run, this is exactly what's going to happen, you know. The the Dems will get in there and they'll make this big show of how they want to get us out of there and there'll be some kind of symbolic movement of troops and we'll go back to putting in puppets, you know. Well, but we're we're never going to get out of there, though. And this is what the American public seems to have no clue of. We've built the most gigantic bases we have in the Middle East are going to be in Iraq. We've got permanent bases going up, very well entrenched, that are going to be permanently manned by both American military and mercenary, I mean contractors, you know, in perpetuity. We have a situation, and Ken, I'm really interested in in your thoughts about the budget that uh, Bush has sent up for the war effort, which is looking at $100 billion this year, and then $148 billion for next year, which, looking at that number, that's a 50% increase in funds. Is that presumably for a 50% buildup in forces in the Middle East? Why is no one asking? Asking that question. Well, I think the concern now is uh, is an invasion or an attack on Iran, which still wouldn't cost that much money. I mean, all they really want to do and, and have to do is a tactical nuke strike on some of those bunkers, um, nuclear development bunkers in Iran. Of course, you know, there would be a response from Iran, I suppose. But, uh, you know, if they get Israel to do it, they can say it wasn't even the U.S. Well, that's what I was kind of expecting, yeah. that if it happens, it would be Israel. And then we could say, well, we didn't put them up to it. They did it on their lonesome. We did not supply the nuclear weapons or anything. We didn't do it. No, it's not us. Yeah, plausible deniability all the way around. But you're absolutely right. I mean, if we're going to be there, it's, this is, this is uh, you know, what we have now instead of the Cold War for generations is that fight over there in the Middle East. And it would have come. You know, Saddam Hussein was on his way out before the invasion of Iraq. I mean, his, his regime was, was so utterly brutal. The Holocaust of 800,000 Kurds and all that other stuff, it was, it was going to fall apart. And we were going to be over there one way or another. Well, his government was falling apart. So how long would it have lasted had we not attacked Iraq? Well, uh, it's it's hard to say because, you know, we had all the sanctions against Iraq, remember? But then there was all that uh, food for oil corruption that was going on in the United Nations, and he had a whole, he was developing a whole bunch of back-channel things that probably would have extended his life, you know, longer than one might expect. But he was a brutal dictatorship, and he was responsible for invading Kuwait, attacking Iran, and gassing the Kurds, you know? I mean, all that stuff is really, truly what he did. You know, a regime like that was, was, wasn't going to, wasn't really going to stand. But everything that happened accelerated it. As for the right. military budgets, you know, yeah, that's an enormous welfare state, isn't it? And supposedly also the U.S. economy is supposedly pretty good. I don't know, you know, 
who who added these figures up is what I, I just yeah, want well, to know who's really making it because I talk to a lot of people during the course of my daily travels around town or online and lots of people are suffering financially so is it becoming a point where more and more rich people are benefiting and I've talked to a few rich people who claim they're not and the rest are the have-nots and we maybe have expanded this separation this disconnect between the haves and have-nots. So who is benefiting from all this economic expansion? I'm not. Yeah, I'm who, not. Was, who, who was the last person you talked to that said, oh, yeah, I'm wealthy, but I have enough, you know, and I got it all fairly, and I have enough now, you know? <laughs> I know there's an it asylum in the other room. Um, no, forget it. <laughs> but the Coming next on the Fantasy Channel, it's Dick Cheney and the Pope going fishing. I mean, they're going hunting. Next well, on know, the Fantasy Channel. You talk to the economists, you know, we have like 4% unemployment, which is like three percentage points oh. under what, what used to be the accepted standard of 7%. Yeah, that's nonsense. But, you know, got these enormous deficits that were created uh, by the war, you know. Uh, under Clinton, remember, we, we were moving it toward uh, surpluses. Well, yeah. those were accounting games, too, Ken. Let's face it. We were not well, in a surplus situation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's my whole point, is that it's all accounting games. You know, who believes the economists? You know, they're all working for a political party, for the most part, and they're just trying to, you know, uh, juggle the numbers to make it look good for, you know, whatever political purpose to get somebody reelected or elected or whatever. So we can't, you know, we don't have, I don't think, any good information about how America is doing as a whole. But I think if we all check our personal economies, they could always be doing a lot better. I know mine can. Well, actually, I, most people that I know uh, in the last two years have had some of the worst financial times they've ever had, and I can certainly count myself among those. I know Gene and, Gene and I both have had a really hard time the last couple of years. So when I hear about you know these great numbers, well, one has to look at the way that the books are cooked. You can look at the, the, the idea of, oh, economic expansion, yeah, for who? Job creation. What jobs are we talking about? Walmart we're talking, jobs? We're talking about the jobs for the people who came in from Mexico and from other parts of Central and South America. Well, we're also talking about weapons manufacturers, too. Well, yeah, they're, I guess they're doing military great. Military hardware, yeah. And that's, you know, that's where a lot of the consumption of the oil comes from. You know, fighting the wars to get the oil actually consumes a lot, most of the oil that they're fighting for. Kind of, you know. <sighs> we want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our forums where you can talk to fellow listeners and Gene and Dana. Just go to theparacast.com and click on the forum links. That's the forum links at theparacast.com. Well, that's one way to enrich the oil companies. We have to enrich this show, I tell you. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietany. We're talking to Ken Thomas, publisher of Steam Shovel Press, steamshovelpress.com. Before I progress with this, Ken, when's your next issue coming out? You tend to be, I know, kind of relaxed about those things. I've got one put together now, um, and it's really just a matter of coming up with the money to pay the printer. How 
that happens is, you know, I've got all these books out there, and people uh, write to me all the time, and they subscribe, or they buy single issues, or actually people in prisons always write for free copies. <laughs> but uh, money trickles in. You know, I don't do it for a living, so it's not really on the kind of schedule you might expect for a regular magazine. So as soon as, uh, as, soon as enough subscriptions are sold to pay for the print run, then it'll be out. It's because it's put together, and it's a fantastic issue. Some really extraordinary things in there, uh, you know, pursuing this idea of parapolitics and its connection to the paranormal. Uh, the main article in the issue is about Charles Fort and Fortianism. Mm. Adam Rightly is in there talking about uh, the various cults in uh, Southern California. Previously unpublished correspondence with Jim Keith, you know, who wrote Mind Control, World Control, famous, uh, my partner actually in writing The Octopus, uh, kind of a well-known guy. And, uh, Tell us about him. Tell us about him. Jim Keith? Yeah. Oh, Jim Keith was uh, uh, Marginal's Zinester back when there was more than one zine out there. <laughs> Before the internet. Before the internet, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he uh, he died under weird circumstances after falling off the stage at Burning Man, the Burning Man thing in Nevada. So he became, when we did a new edition of The Octopus, his mysterious death became a chapter in the new edition. But he's still hmm. well known, and his books still sell. He, he, I think this is like... He died at Burning Man. Yeah, of a knee injury. And there's this whole complicated thing about it. At the time, knee surgeries at the time were stopped uh, shortly after he died because of tissue bank in Atlanta had issued these tainted tissues that people were using in knee surgeries that had clostridium mm. bacteria. And Keith had, had long written about how the CIA actually stockpiles clostridium bacteria. And all of a sudden, this knee injury leads to his death, which is officially a pulmonary embolism. But then shortly after he died, our mutual friend and our publisher, Ron Bonds, who used to run Illuminate Press, died uh, of clostridium poisoning at oh. an El Azteca restaurant in Atlanta, just the you know, not very far from where that tissue bank was. You know, that's the uh, he published Alan Greenfield's books too. That's right. Ron Vaughn published Alan Greenfield and published Carrie Thornley, who was in the Marines with Oswald and wrote a novel about Oswald before the Kennedy assassination called The Idle Warriors. That was an illuminate thing. And also, uh, Ron published my favorite of my books, Maury Island UFO, which has since become a collector's item. If you go up on Amazon, people sell copies of Maury Island now for a hundred bucks. And I'm trying to find a new publisher so we can do a new edition. The same thing happened with the octopus. You know, after a while, my print runs aren't, you know, they're with smaller publishers, and they run out, and then they become these collector's items for people until a new edition through these. Why not self-publish? Well, it's kind of a code <laughs> among writers. If you, Self-publishing used to be called vanity publishing. Right. It does not have the same respect that one has when one can go find a publisher that somebody else is interested in publishing it besides yourself. Otherwise, people say, well, the book wasn't good enough to be published by a real publisher. Right. Yeah, that's that's the thought. But although, you know, in terms of the economics, particularly since the Internet, you know, when you sell your book to a publisher, you make a hell of a lot less money than you do if you publish it yourself. You know, well, the way around that is to create a third-party company, you know, right. such as such and such a press, and that way you use print-on-demand. And there are places out there that will charge you just three or four dollars for a fairly thick book, and you sell it for nineteen ninety-five. And after shipping and advertising, you're collecting quite a decent amount of money. Understand, ladies and gentlemen, when you pay twenty-five dollars for the latest book by a best-selling author, if that author gets he gets a commission usually based 
royalties to our royalty based on the wholesale price of the book, which is half the retail. So say he gets maybe a dollar fifty a book. He paid twenty five dollars for it, but that author only got a dollar fifty a book. What can it be? That's precisely right. But you know, of course, you have to have a loyal following, or else once you put out a book, you have to work your butt off publicizing it and getting it distributed. You know, distribution is the, is really the whole key. You know, you want to have your books in every bookstore around the country. You don't want it to be a thing where, well, if they heard of you, they'd buy your book. You want that walk-by uh, traffic that comes to the bookstores. You want the kind of publicity budgets that the big publishers have. You know, you want to get the word out. So, Well, at this point, though, the whole issue, what you're saying is exactly right, Ken, that it's always been a distribution game. But at this point, it's certainly it's true that uh, if you're on Amazon.com, you're at the web's biggest store, essentially. I, I think if you speak to people like Barnes & Noble, you find that, um, yes, there is this tremendous importance to brick-and-mortar sales, but what's happening with a lot of that is that people walk into Barnes & Noble, look at titles, write down a list, go yeah. home, and order it on the Internet. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, right. that's, just, that's the reality of it. Also, if you do well on Amazon, if your book does well on Amazon, it's a bestseller. Forget about the fact that maybe you're dealing with what? 15, 20% of all the sales, or maybe it's more now. I forget what Amazon's percentage of the book, book sales market is now. I guess Walmart has quite a few sales, too. They don't have much of a selection, but they sell huge numbers of books. But Amazon alone is enough. You could make a decent living from Amazon if you get high enough in there. You know, you have to be in the top 1,000, top 500 before you're selling a decent number of books. You know, you see somebody there, and they're up to 25,000. If they're selling 50 books a month, that's a lot. Yeah. And well, you see, the thing is, too, the, the sales game and the writing game are, are two different professions. And actually, the the kinds of jobs that keep getting piled up on writers are, is pretty incredible, because now they expect you to design your book, you know, and to promote it. And to, I come from a, a time and place where you wrote the book, and then you gave it to a publisher, and then, then they took it over. In fact, actually, it's kind of interesting. You know, my next book is going to be published by Reader's Digest, of all places. It's called <laughs> Conspiracy Files, and you can find it on Amazon. They're taking advance orders. It won't be out until the summer, but it's called Conspiracy Files, and, you know, this has all been in the traditional book publishing mode. I wrote this book like two years ago. They're just now getting to their deadline, of course. They've been dragging their feet for two years, and now they want updates from me. But if you go to Amazon, they have it listed as Conspiracy Files, and then the subtitle is something like The Evidence from Alanis to Al-Qaeda. First off, Alanis is Atlantis misspelled, and then oh, they've got a total misspelling of Al-Qaeda. And even, oh. you know, take away all that, what you have is, you mean from A to A? <laughs> so, so, you know, when I talk about this, you know, I just want to do the book, hand it over to the publisher and let them take over. You know, you got to hope that they can do better than that. <laughs> well, problem is now is a lot of the big publishers, except for a, a few A-list authors, all they do is toss the books out there and hope that maybe a few will catch on. It's like the recording industry. You know, you have the big stars and they spend all their money promoting the big stars and then they release hundreds of records a week or right now it's hundreds of CDs, tracks, whatever and they toss them out there and the ones that gain a little traction or a decent amount of traction, they will step in and promote. Isn't that great? We were always behind the artists. Yeah, but for the 10 years that they were producing stuff that didn't sell, they didn't care about them. They didn't make one effort. As soon as they do it themselves, then they come in and try to take their share. Yeah. 
This is Tim Beckley, Mr. UFO, reporting for ConspiracyJournal.com. Fascinated by the strange and unknown, things that go bump in the night, UFOs, time travel, Area 51, the Philadelphia Experiment, shady government cover-ups? Don't be left out in the lunar cold. Sign up now for our weekly online newsletter and receive our snail mail catalogs. Go to ConspiracyJournal.com or email Tim Beckley at MrUFO at WebTV.net. It's all out of this world. Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next. This is the yeah. Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. We're talking to Ken Thomas on Parapolitics, and he's publisher of Steam Shovel Press. SteamShovelPress.com will tell you more about We also have a link up at theparacast.com. Let us continue. We have one more segment left, David. Well, it's nice talking about publishing. I can hear the crickets in the audience. All of our listeners have gone to sleep. Let's go back to the 9-11 conspiracy, the actual topic we were talking talking about. Ken, you brought up the issue of World Trade Center 7. I've always found this to be very problematic in that it doesn't appear that there should have been any reason for that building to come down at the end of the day, September 11th. Um, there was also a lot of interesting information that had been peering on the web about what was located in that building. Why would that building have been pulled or brought down? What do you know about that topic? I think the idea is that uh, it was the control center, you know, that that was the building from which they were coordinating the planes crashing into the building, and that's why it had to be destroyed. Isn't that what you heard? So, yeah, basically yeah. The, the idea that, well, there was all sorts of stuff that a bunch of the Enron documents were supposedly located in that building, that you had um, the FBI had a control center there. Either the FBI or the CIA, perhaps both. Certainly Giuliani's security center downtown was in that building. Yeah, it's curious, too. You know, Giuliani just announced that he's running for the presidency. Yeah, I spent an hour screaming at the television yesterday when I heard that. Yeah. <laughs> of course, he announced it on the Fox network. The problem is, with David's TV, it started screaming back at him. <laughs> I hope the people who are doing this, you know, who are, are interested in Building 7, keep it up. And if Giuliani gains any, you know, amount of momentum for his campaign, or God forbid that he even gets the office, to, people continue to beat the drums for this thing because it's certainly not a settled bit of argument it's, it, it is you know of, of all the curious things out there it's the least dismissible you know I think it's pretty clear that that building came down because of charges that were set in it it seems to me a common sense thing like the grassy knoll shot when you watch the Bruder film this gets back to the 9-11 commission you know I regard the 9-11 commission like I do the Warren commission you know there's not a lot of truth there there's just uh, that's just what the government's telling you that's just one little piece of thing that you got to put into that little mosaic that, that leads to your fuller understanding of what actually happened there. But in the end, it appears that, and not to be a downer or anything, but it appears that the American population, for the most part, doesn't care. This is basically, even if the truth were available, they wouldn't want to know. Perhaps they couldn't confront this truth. We see this theme reverberate throughout the discussion of so many aspects of the paranormal world, where there are so many reasons to have valid questions, yet people don't want to because A, it requires effort, B, it's just too ugly to look at, no, oh no, oh, I put my head in the sand and this way I won't smell the burning around me. Is this going to be basically the future of the American empire that we're doomed to fall because of the fact that we simply can't be bothered to deal with reality? <laughs> 
A subtle question, I know, but... It's got to be a rhetorical question. Well, subtle question is, what is reality anymore? How do you know whether the reality you perceive in terms of politics is the reality, quote-unquote? Well, I'll give you one hopeful thought. You know, when Kennedy was shot in 63, it was like three years before Mark Lane's book came out. And it was another process of 30 to 40 years before that research community grew to the extent that it did and eventually came to convince most Americans who care about it at all that Kennedy was indeed killed as a result of a conspiracy. In in the weeks following 9-11, millions of websites went up. It was a complete reverse process. Robin Ramsey documents this, actually. Robin Ramsey publishes a a magazine in the U.K. called Lobster, a conspiracy magazine. And uh, he did this whole article about how there was an enormous response of people who were kind of hit toward conspiracy, creating websites and asking questions. It was completely different. Now, it, it, it has tapered off a great deal, I mean, since the years of the war and everything else. But uh, the immediate response was, was enormously different than what happened in, in 63. So you think that's a good sign? Well, I think part of it was the new technology, you know, which is actually becoming a little old and tiresome now. I do believe that the more information that, that we're able to put out there, the more quickly we can respond to crises like this and and the more quickly we can come to understanding. If there's a little ray of hope in humanity, that it might be shining through there a little bit. You you don't sound completely optimistic there or enthusiastic. (laughs) What's the matter? (laughs) You sound a little, you're hedging, man. You're hedging. Well, I don't want to be naive or silly or anything like that, but Again, I do this, uh, present this, this information to people to help inoculate them from foolishness and from being stupid sheep and that kind of thing. So, so The problem of- is, is stupidity something you can actually come up with a cure for? Uh, that's <laughs> If you're inoculating people, is it something that there's actually a medicine that could make them inquisitive and rational and insightful and it logical? Terrib- yeah, it would be terribly immodest of me to say that I've had any degree of success. <laughs> Well, if you did, you wouldn't have to be waiting until you get enough subscribers to pay the printing bill. Precisely, yeah. Well, that's that's exactly where it is. So, where do we go from here? Does it look like a hopeless case? Is it going to be a bunch of a bunch of extremists sitting here and talking to ourselves about the great conspiracies of the world, or is there hope? Is there an end game where maybe we can prevail after all these powers? The octopus continues its dirty work. Uh, well, the end game is really nothing I've ever played, you know. Like I said, my philosophies fall along the lines of Robert Anton Wilson and Timothy Leary. Leary used to always say the point is to keep asking the questions. And the job for what I do, the work that I do, is to do that, is to get people to ask the questions. And we ask, you know, particularized questions and to not fall into these broad stroke philosophies. Well, I'm a leftist and I'm opposed to George Bush, therefore I understand the conspiracy. Well, no, you know, you know, I might be opposed to George Bush. You've got more work to do, pal. Or, you know, conversely, same with the right winger. It keeps coming back to people wanting to choose a pre-made box instead of creating their own context. And and that, I think, in order to move this discussion forward, we have to we have to throw all the boxes out, and we have to all sit in the sandbox, and we all have to get dirty, and that's when we can actually realize maybe there is a way to, to have discussions that are constructive. Maybe there is a way to strip everything down to the bare minimum reality so that we can get the signal-to-noise ratio perhaps a little higher. I think, Ken, the point you make is very relevant in that taking any kind of an extreme position 
acquisition essentially is adding to the noise, not to the signal. And so we have to try to reverse that trend. We have to try to be more realistic about what is certainly possible in our lifetimes in terms of trying to change the tide, but also to change the tone of the conversation. And I think that's the really difficult part. Yes, very well put. Let's just maybe before we let you go, kind of focus on the future. And that is with regard to a 9-11 conspiracy, the problems with Building 7, why did it come tumbling down? Do you really think there's any chance at all that we will get some answers, real answers, stuff that people accept, not just stuff that sits there at the fringes of the of the society? I live in the fringes. You know, we, we all knew what happened with Kennedy long before it got accepted. <laughs> well, but you remember now, there was a whole research community that developed. And in fact, it, it still exists. You know, the Coalition on Political Assassinations is still a, uh, an ongoing concern of John Judges in Washington, D.C. Uh, maybe that's only where you can find the answers. You know, maybe the, uh, the domination of the media is such that the real answers are only in the fringe, because that's where I work and write, and that's where I would like to draw the attention of anybody who you know, potentially interested in what I have to do. And that's why I do the TV appearances and all that stuff, to, to try to take this body of information and throw it at the larger audience out there. It happens sometimes, sometimes it doesn't, but, you know, there is, at least there is the fringe and there is an underground, you know. I, we need to struggle to keep that part of it together, I think. Do you yeah. find you're making any progress? Uh, <laughs> in mainstreaming? Yes. Well, actually, Or just having more people join the fringe. Well, actually, like I said, I've got a book coming out from Reader's Digest. <laughs> you, you can't get more mainstream even. I've made an inroad here and there. Tell you what, one more time before we let you leave us. Where do we get a copy of Steam Shovel Press, and what about your next book? Uh, well, the current book is called Parapolitics, and that really goes into more of this connection between the parapolitical and the paranormal, and I'm trying to popularize that idea of parapolitics. That one's available at any bookstore, Barnes & Noble, Southern California Books, I think, distributes for that publisher. It's all over the place. The one coming up is called Conspiracy Files. That won't be out until the summer. I've got about a dozen of them, though, so an Amazon search for Ken Thomas will uh, let you in on the wild and crazy world of me. But you can always catch up with Steam Shovel Press at steamshovelpress.com. You know, you can get the subscription form there, and you can order a single issue there. And also content there changes all the time. There's always new editorials and stuff that you read from from a variety of, of writers, not just me. You know, I've got Yuri Dalbanko, Len Bracken, uh, Greg Bishop, all kinds of Jim Keith, when he was live, all kinds of underground writers and stuff show up there. So steamshovelpress.com, I guess, is the main thing. Okay, we also link it at theparacast.com so people don't have to forget. Thanks once again, Ken Thomas, for joining us on The Paracast. Thank you, guys. Thank have you, fun. Ken, Ken. The Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney is a production of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Join us next week for a new adventure in The Paracast.